2: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies brought to you by FilmDivided.com. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick and James Hunt. We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before launching into our spoiler-filled discussion of Jonathan Hensley's 2004 film The Punisher. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain a comic book concept that as a movie fan... I uh, only found out today how to pronounce. Um, Guys, can can you tell me about Darkseid? Because he's coming to the DC universe and he sounds important, but I don't know what he does.
0: He's the DC version of Thanos.
2: (laughs) Next question.
1: Hang on, hang on. When did when did I I'm, I'm googling Thanos. When did Thanos debut?
0: Well, Thanos was created by Jim Starlin when he was a kid, so I imagine
1: 1973 Thanos first appeared. Yeah. 1970 Dark Side first, first appeared. appeared. So I think oh. you think you'll find Thanos is the unless, oh, Come on.
0: Unless you're <laughs> suggesting Jim Stalin started working working at Marvel when he was like 11. <laughs> I think he wins. Is, uh, yeah, but come
1: better. on. Thanos is so obviously a Jack Kirby character <laughs> that Whereas Darkseid is literally actually a Jack Kirby character. So <laughs> Who's who's better out? Who's of better Dark depends Side on whether you're a Marvel Thanos. fanboy or a DC fan. To be
0: fair, they're both pretty tedious. Um. <laughs> like they're just intergalactic warlords, it's not that interesting.
1: Darkseid's a bit more interesting. Well, I think Thanos than is a bit
0: more interesting because sometimes he wears the Infinity <laughs> Gauntlet. As yeah, opposed to having an equation that he fights with.
1: Sometimes Darkseid wears a skirt.
2: So <laughs> What does he look like, Seb? I genuinely I don't think I've even even he's seen a he's
1: massive him. and grey and has a big Jack Kirby-ish forehead and wears blue. And basically, he's an incredibly strong and powerful warmonger. Um, he rules a planet called Apocalypse, um, spelled A-P-O-K-O-P. No. <laughs> <laughs> spelled A P O K O L. Ips. Sorry, I'm going to have to accept your first answer, and you're out of this week's <laughs> spelling bee. Um, but he's, as I say, he was created by Jack Kirby. Basically, when Jack Kirby left Marvel and went to DC, so
0: notably um, after Jack Kirby did anything interesting.
1: Um, there are many who would argue that Jack Kirby's Fourth World stuff that he did at DC is better than anything that he did at Marvel. Would you? I'm argue not one that? of them, <laughs> yeah. but there are a lot of those. There are a lot of people who argue that. So does Darkseid make
2: sense as a villain? who, Like. That you would build the DC universe around, like,
1: oh yeah, very universe much so, because he's a Thanos? he's a big threat and yeah. he's a sort of they would all come together threat. I mean, as it is, even on you know, even if you just look at him versus Superman on his own, he is someone who is like a a physical and and power level equal to Superman. You know, rather than being someone like Lex Luthor who has to outsmart him with evil cunning. Although, I mean, I don't know if I've ever read a comic where they literally just have a punch up. Um, but the idea is that. Dark side is just ridiculously strong and powerful, and it's the kind of character who people don't even really bother to have a punch up with because you know they'd already be beaten before it started. Um, but he's yeah, he's very much he's a big Justice League villain, and I mean I hadn't seen that it had been explicitly confirmed, but uh, it hasn't been explicitly confirmed. But people have spotted like little teasers well, of Dark if you're doing in the a big two part Justice League film, then it. It, you know if you are going to go into space then it makes sense to to have darkseid be the big threat obviously the only concern is that you've got a two part avengers film where thanos is going to be the villain so um they dc really seem to like setting themselves up for failed comparisons to marvel's <laughs> films don't they so if thanos um, is going to turn up with an infinity gauntlet what what is da- what's darkseid going to do darkseid doesn't need an infinity gauntlet because um, he's got his Omega beams instead.
0: Don't forget the so maths. He, he's got maths as well.
1: He has the anti-life equation, which is, and uh, as it sounds, it, it's the equation for anti-life. So... It makes people dead. <laughs> to,
2: to paraphrase the quote from the movie we're about to discuss. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I want you it's... to make him dead. <laughs> make him
0: dead. That is the best line in the film. <laughs>
1: Anyway, we're I do ourselves. There There's some good candidates. Um, yeah, he's hard to quantify because it's, it's you know it's not just sort of oh he has this big weapon and he does this. He's sort of, as I say, I mean, I've never really read a comic in which do- other than Final Crisis, the Grant Morrison crossover from two thousand and I'm going to say eight. eight. Yes. Did you just look that up? No, I guessed. Okay. I think it was two thousand and eight. I've not read many stories where he is actually the enemy and they actually have a fight with him. What I've tended to read with Darkseid is stories where characters have this sort of unspoken we won't bother you and you won't bother us sort of thing because he's so powerful that they don't want to get into a fight with him. Do you know what I mean? So he's sort of... It's more that he's a bubbling background threat than anything. And he's, you know, he's a character who basically everybody in the Gnome universe is scared of. Right. Um, So, I mean, it does make sense to introduce him as a big villain. Um, I don't know who you'd get to play him. Okay, so I have two final questions about Darkseid. One...
2: Has he ever lived on the moon? He doesn't need to live on the moon. He lives on the fire planet of Apocalypse. <laughs> okay, that's disappointing. Disappointing. Secondly, why do they spell it
1: wrong? Because he's a Jack Kirby character. Because <laughs> he's a Jack Kirby character. You're talking about, I mean, in this line of comics, as I say, you've got Apocalypse. And Darkseed. Um, you've got um, the character Scott Free, <laughs> who, whose name is actually, Mr. Miracle's name is Scott Free. Oh, wow. Um what are, what are some of the other? Uh, I think some of the other new gods are spelled correctly. you got the likes of High Father and Orion. Orion is just spelled like Orion. Uh, but yeah, it's a it, it's Jack Kirby. He likes to give things names like that. Well, it's
0: because Stan so. Lee usually did the writing.
1: So.
0: <laughs> I'm being very, very uh, harsh on Jack Kirby here.
1: He you was, really are. He was fine. We're going to get letters. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're being almost as harsh on him as Stan Lee was. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thanks to that,
2: guys. I now know how to say Darkseid. Um, let's move on now uh, to take a look at some of the comic book, movie, and TV news from the past week. Um, and the first piece of news relates to Civil War. So there is um, a rumour on the internet at the moment that Marvel have filmed multiple death scenes for the end of Civil War um, in a similar way to apparently what they did on set for Age of Ultron, which was to film death scenes for both Hawkeye and Quicksilver, so as not to let that spoiler get out there. And the rumour is that there have been death scenes filmed for Scarlet Witch, (laughs) War Machine and Falcon. So Two black guys and a woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the, the two-pronged question here is, one, if it has to be one of them, who should it be? And two, does it have to be one of them? And could this be one giant smokescreen because there's another
1: character who might possibly die at the end of this story? Well, in answer to the first one, um, I think it should be uh, War Machine because I just want James to suffer. <laughs> Uh and in answer to the second one I mean aside from the fact that we know that obviously they're going to kill Captain America um I've got a really worrying feeling that they're going to kill Black Widow and that's why she's not getting a solo movie it seems to be the only Ooh. logical reason for her to get a, for her to not get a solo movie by now mm. is that they're going to kill her off because Scarlett Johansson wouldn't want to do more because her contracts up or I don't know. I don't know don't know the reasoning behind it. I just I just have this weird feeling. It would even seem to fit in with what they might want to do with Hulk as well, by taking her off the board. Um, I, think, like, I, I think I think it would be feel madness, more strongly but... against that than any of the other options.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. I don't think oh, no, I mean, I'm any... not saying
1: it would be a good idea, I just have a worrying feeling that they might do it. I
0: don't think there's any chance they'll kill off their highest profile female character.
1: But then, why haven't they given her a film?
0: Maybe Scarlett Johansson doesn't want to do one.
1: Yeah, it could be it could be
2: anything from her contract. To, maybe there's not a script. Yeah, that, that that they like her being a supporting player in a high number of the other movies, um, and or may, maybe it's something as simple as if they give her a, a movie to herself, her contract becomes a lot more lucrative and she starts earning robert downey jr money Mm -hmm. instead of everyone else money
0: i mean i would i would say it's if i had to put money on anyone it would be war machine just because with no solo iron man films coming he's kind of afloat anyway like they're not going to make a solo war machine film
1: no but he is also their option for having you know if they if the if there's a risk of losing downey jr um he's their Iron Man for future Avengers. Yeah, though, but you so. can
0: you can recast Robert Downey Jr. more convincingly than you can use Don Cheadle as like as much as I as much as I love Don Cheadle and War Machine, you can recast him before you can try and sell I'm, War Machine as Iron Man.
2: I'm increasingly coming to the position where I think that probably this this entire first three phases is going to come down to like the key players being captain America and iron man. And at the end of phase three, both of them will be taken off the board and kind of let, you know, they'll, they'll live for a a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then bring them back. Um, I I would say like, I think, um, how about, how about this trick? A crazy theory. Um, Everyone thought he was going to die before his film made money. So what if it's Ant-Man? And Ant-Man and the Wasp is actually Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly. Discuss. Yeah. Uh, Could happen. No, I don't think so. I don't think it'll happen either. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I think if you kill someone, make it Sebastian Stan. Do that like interesting story of like Cap giving up all this stuff and maybe even betraying his principles to protect a friend. And well, the problem have that the, fail.
1: the problem that they've got with Bucky is that if you go back to, and I've actually just been reading Ed Brubaker's Captain America from start to finish because I'd read bits of it before, but I hadn't read it, you know, kind of all in one go in sequence. You've got this great story and character with Bucky and him first as the Winter Soldier, and then as the Winter Soldier, but with his memories back, and then as Captain America, and then you know, kind of back as Bucky again. It's great, and it's really good potential material for a film, but that character is not Sebastian Stan at all. And I I did think he was good at what he was doing in Winter Soldier, but I don't think he can pull off that character and that story where it needs to go from here if it's going to follow the path of the comics. So actually taking it in a surprise direction and just going yeah all right we'll kill him off instead <laughs> i could actually almost see that happening because i just i can't see i i just cannot envisage a captain america movie with sebastian stan as the lead with the shield i just mm. I just can't say it.
0: No, I yeah. Despite I him sharing I think...
1: my name, I want to root for him, you know, because or Sebs have got to stick together. But um, and I don't dislike him. I think I think at the role that he's had to do in both Captain America films so far, he has been good. Don't get me wrong, but he he does not strike me as an actor and a character who can convincingly be Captain America.
0: Yeah, I think you're you're probably right that they'll kill him off rather than Cap. Like it might be a thing where he, you know. Jumps in front of the bullet or whatever. But they,
1: I, I,
2: I strongly feel that they need to kill Captain America. <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, because it's great. Because then you have him gone for a long time,
1: and then you lose more characters in Infinity War Part One. I mean, to be fair, of all of the characters, he is the one who a triumphant return yes. after you thought he was dead yeah. would be the most triumphant moment, like of all of them he's the one who his big comeback after a couple of films where you thought he was dead would be amazing in a way that it would be good for the others but and even though you know iron man is the kind of has been the hero throughout it i just i just feel like cap would pull off that moment in a way that the others wouldn't
2: i'm just i'm just wondering as well how many years there are between um civil war and um infinity war part 2 which Four. is you know, yeah so it, i mean taking chris evans off the board for four years would be a, a a pretty big ballsy call um which um would be would be pretty exciting because if you think about that going backwards you know that would be i think we've i think there's been five years between the first
1: cats in america and the third one yeah it's a significant imagine if they period did that, time though and then this whole superhero movie thing went belly up and they never got around to making Infinity War Part 2, so they never brought him back. See, my, do, you, do you think like, there's ever a danger that Marvel's films might hit a Golden Compass-type situation and we end up with a chapter that just ends things and, and it never gets picked up on the rest of the yeah, story? Yeah, it, it might be called The Inhumans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So that was some fun, reckless Marvel Cinematic Universe speculation. Let's do some more because um according to a report on geek.com Kate Blanchett's brawl in Thor Ragnarok potentially if she signs on would be Hela according to geek.com now we don't know that she has signed but Mark Ruffalo has spoken publicly about you know her being in talks and his encouraging her publicly to uh, to take the role so first of all guys can you can you explain Hela a little bit and why this has got a lot of people excited about Thor Ragnarok. Aside, aside from the fact that casting Kate Blanchett as a villain in a Marvel movie might be a good start to solving that villain problem.
0: Well, she she runs one of the Asgardian underworlds, which is hell with one L.
1: And she's connected to Loki somehow, isn't she?
0: She's technically within the mythology of, I think, regular. Norse myth. She's Loki's daughter. It's one. It's one of those weird loops. I think where some versions of the story she's his mother, and some she's his daughter or something. Yeah, that's and confusing. That's, that's
1: what happens when you're dealing with a mischief god. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just hope that we uh, don't get the version from uh, Jeff Loeb's Ultimate New Ultimate. Um, in which Hela's main contribution to the story is uh, imprisoning Thor in the underworld and saying that she'll only release him if he gives her a son. So, you know, she essentially sort of, you know, rape by black males Thor. Um and they do actually show it on panel as well, which is Lovely. really nice. Ultimate Universe. So, Jeff Loeb, everybody. <laughs> What's he doing? Nothing important anymore, don't worry about it. <laughs> and that and that was the Jeff Loeb Ultimates comic that wasn't as bad as the other Jeff Loeb Ultimates <laughs> comics. So, guys, some,
2: some details that I read about Heller in this film were that... Well, I mean, first of all, you know, this, this character sounds kind of mystical and otherworldly, and so originally, you know, straight away, I'm thinking angry Galadriel in Lord of the Rings and thinking, yes, yeah, I would love to see her do that for an entire movie and not just five second flashes mm-hmm. in a 10-hour epic. So that sounds good to me. Second of all, there, there's some suggestion that there will be a scene where Thor and Hella face off and she destroys Mjolnir, which, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which sounds like she would be hella powerful. Nailed it. And um, also that... In that she would be set up to be much more important going forward, that she could essentially be a stand-in for death and be the object of Thanos' affections yeah as the, as the universe i mean that's kind of unfolds. that's how
0: she usually functions in the in the marvel universe is she kind of tends to turn up if someone has died or is about to die and sometimes she takes them to the underworld other times people go to the underworld to try and plead for someone's life back i mean it's it's weird because she's not really an antagonist like she's an antagonist but she's not really a villain like mm. she doesn't have her own agenda most of the time she just wants to rule her slice of hell and keep it sort of tidy uh, so she's kind of she's not benevolent but she's not actively malevolent either she's just doing a job
2: so maybe Thanos involvement would would nudge her into yeah that I can um, I so
0: can it's... imagine them using Thanos you know saying Thanos is in love with her and this is why he's trying to kill
2: and so we should explain that is a part of the Infinity War comic isn't it that Thanos yeah is he's in... obs-
0: he's obsessed with Mistress Death and
2: yeah you know
0: he basically he wants to kill people to impress her and gain her attention.
2: So, are you guys as enthusiastic as I am about that if that does turn out to be the case? I mean, Kate Blanchett playing a big role in Thor Ragnarok and potentially the rest of phase, phase 3.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm on board I with mean, that.
1: <laughs> Kate Blanchett as a villain. Yeah, it's uh, I wonder if I, I don't know if you I don't know where this has come from, but I saw today a description of some rumored plot for Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, it's it's out there. So, this was sort of the idea that after Hela Destroys Mjolnir, um, Thor gets banished from Asgard and ends up on an alien gladiatorial planet uh, where he runs into Hulk and they team <laughs> up.
2: Yeah, and we and it, and it did. I was it. Um, Mark Ruffalo also said that it was going to be like
1: midnight run esque. There's a MacGuffin that Thor needs in order to get back, and so the two of them. Mm. Are on the hunt for it, kind of thing, but he's 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 Hulk as Hulk, like he doesn't transform into Banner, mm. but as Hulk, he's he's developed like more of Banner's memories and personality. So yeah, I've heard similar um, stuff to that. The other thing yeah. that I heard was that Odin would,
2: because obviously he was usurped by Loki secretly at the end of the last film, mm. that he would have been banished by Loki to Earth and was kind of rambling around like with like a kind of doomsday prophet. <laughs> in in human powerless guys so basically anthony hopkins as a street bum <laughs> proclaiming the the apocalypse is coming on on earth yeah. that sounds great as sounds well sounds
0: good i'm just worried about how Cat dennings is going to fit into this film
2: <laughs> yeah it doesn't sound very earthy does it no maybe she'll she'll bump into anthony hopkins on the street apparently there is a very small amount of it that's on earth maybe she'll yeah. turn up in doctor strange we can only hope <laughs> Hey, but I'm very excited about Thor Ragnarok. Now that I'm starting to hear details about it, it sounds like one, potentially one of the most interesting movies in Phase 3. Okay. So, before we launch into our spoiler filled discussion of The Punisher, let's take a listen to the trailer for the movie.
0: I can't believe I'm home.
1: And I could ever be so lucky.
0: I'm
2: not lucky.
1: We are blessed.
0: All
2: right, everybody, quiet down. This is the first family reunion we've had in five years. To the future!
0: The future. The future was something my family would never see.
2: Okay, so that was the trailer for the 2004 version of The Punisher. So just in case anyone's confused, this isn't the Dolph Lundgren one. This is the Thomas Jane one um, and John Travolta. And first of all, guys, I've got to say, like, I've never watched any Punisher before. And I've never read any Punisher comics. So my first reaction to this movie was... Ah, huh. so he goes around killing people and not and not spraying out witty wordplay. Mm. <laughs> that was slightly disappointing. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I don't think I caught one pun in the whole thing. <laughs> you can, uh, you know, if that's the kind of
0: joke people are throwing him, you can understand why it would shoot people.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd start off with a lighter tone than last week because you know we all know how that went. Um, we got yeah, uh, most of them so were saying they wanted more of Angry Joe. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get angry, Joe. This week, you're going to get very confused and very amused, Joe. Um, yeah. This might be a movie that is as bad as the Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. but in a in a completely enjoyably bad way. Yeah, um, and you know, I I think probably a, a film that cost maybe. Uh, a tenth of what the amazing (laughs) spider-man cost (laughs) and i think a lot of the things wrong with it might be how small its budget (laughs) is and some of the compromises it had to take 33 $33 million dollars for instance (laughs) this film about the punisher this dark gritty character who kind of like wears all black and at night goes out and punishes people who deserve to be punished is set and filmed in tampa florida (laughs) Not New York or Chicago or, like, any big metropolitan city. Tampa. What's that about?
0: That that hotbed of organised crime. Yeah.
1: Tampa. I mean, you can kind of see why Howard Saint was able to get a foothold there, really. It's not as if anybody else would have given a shit about it.
2: It's just so strange. I'm watching this movie and going, there's an awful lot of, like, Daylight in this, and like it just, it just, it didn't feel right the whole way through. And I was mm. like, "Why, why tamper?" And then I listened to the audio, the director's commentary of the film, and he was like, "Yeah, we couldn't afford to shoot this <laughs> anywhere else. They gave me thirty million dollars, and I had to cut every corner that I could." <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, I mean, I think we'll probably go through a lot of this movie chronologically. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to start off by, so, like I said, I I had not seen or read any Punisher, so this is my first exposure outside of, uh, maybe one issue of Daredevil that he popped up in, Mm -hmm. um, that I read, like, this is, this is my only real exposure to this character, so is this the character from the page? Have they got the (laughs) Punisher right in, you know, kind of, disregard everything that's around him is that character frank castle the frank castle
1: of the page i think for half of the film um <laughs> it, it, he's just completely unrecognizable as anything you could ever relate to any version of frank castle that's ever been on the page is that the first half that's the first half right yeah. okay Uh, because in the first half, he's a completely different character, Uh, like a a specific... He's an adaptation of a very specific, different character, but we'll get to that. Um, In the second half of the film, when he has, you know, gone through his trauma and started wearing the T-shirt and they decide to barely give him any dialogue and Tom Jane... You can tell at that point that Tom Jane is playing the character that he wanted to play. He's a reasonable facsimile of the kind of what you'd call the post-superhero version of the Punisher. Because basically right. there's there's a point at which, in the comics, the Punisher stops wearing a superhero outfit with, with white gloves and starts wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And that <coughs> point is basically when Garth Ennis comes in. And that version of the Punisher is very different from the version of the Punisher that had been around since the 70s. Um, And to an extent, the version of the Punisher that they've kind of absorbed back into the Marvel Universe over the last maybe sort of five, six years or so since then as well. And I think of the 2000s version of the Punisher, I think the second half of the film reasonably gets the character fairly well on in as much as he has a character which is to say not very much to be honest
0: (laughs) like Seb says, the problem is for sort of 20 25 years you had this version of the punisher who was well for a start he was introduced in a spider-man comic as a villain Mm. as you would expect someone who goes around murdering people to be
1: yeah Yeah. and Uh, not like he wasn't introduced as a he is someone who crosses paths with the hero who we will eventually turn into an anti-hero the intent was very much you know from um jerry conway uh, the writer then he, he he was he was intended as a villain he was he yeah. wasn't intended to get he was turned so, into an anti hero he was
0: so inexplicably popular that they had to spin yeah. him off
2: <laughs>
0: which a lot of i think a lot of creators in the 60s and 70s were quite upset about that as i recall
2: <laughs> what's behind that popularity like i mean cuz i i constantly hear and you know i've i've seen John Burnfall saying this recently and i've heard um, Jonathan Hensley talking about this on the commentary for this movie, and you know, just a Punisher iconography seems to pop up in popular culture all of the time in places that you wouldn't expect it to. I mean, quite a lot of people talk about this responsibility because people have such a strong attachment to their character, particularly military personnel um, or you know, ex-military. Seem to and um, law enforcement tend to form strong attachments to this character. So, what do you think's behind that? Why is why is this a character who uh, maybe even transcends the comic book world and appeals to a, a broader demographic of people?
0: I think it's fairly simple in that it's just. He's a relatable power fantasy in that he's a guy who buys a lot of guns and shoots people,
1: and that's sort of the American dream. The thing is that there's an interesting thing with superhero comics and kind of comics with vigilante characters in them. Like, to me, superheroes represent a very sort of, I don't even want to use the phrase social justice, but, you know. (laughs) Superman is the original social justice warrior. You know, in his, in his earliest appearances, he's beating up slum landlords and abusive husbands and stuff. And, and that, to me, is where superheroes have always sat. And I think, in general, the kind of people who create superhero comics, and kind of particularly coming out of the Marvel tradition, tend to come out of this countercultural and quite left wing tradition. But it is undeniable as well. That there are plenty of aspects of superhero comics that appeal to fairly right-wing people and you get fairly right-wing comics creators you get people who love Batman not because so much because he's you know well you know they love him essentially because of the fact that really Batman's kind of a bit fascist Um, (laughs) and I kind of like Batman in spite of that fact and there are people who read Watchmen and sympathize with Rorschach Hmm. and I think those are the kind of people who read earlier Punisher stories. And I think at least as I say, when we get to kind of some of the later stuff that we're talking about, there is a bit more complexity in terms of the morals, although still not that much. But just the the imagery of a vigilante character who is unafraid to go out there and shoot people has a certain appeal. I'm not saying it only appeals to right wing people, but I do think it's very interesting that his popularity I think he was already pretty popular. But then Frank Miller started using him in Daredevil. And you can see why Frank Miller doing a character like the Punisher would appeal. I mean, he a lot as well.
0: He appeals to authoritarians generally, mm. doesn't he? Like that's the and know, he, the people and who are the people who are asked to make the kind of decisions over life and death that he occasionally does. Every and time he it's interesting his house.
1: because because he's such a and this comes on to actually what I think is one of the biggest problems with the movie's version of the character. He is still very much an anti-authority figure. I mean, he's he has a military background, but the whole point about what he does is that it is a complete rejection of the police and authority in that sense and it's about dispensing justice not about dispensing law, yeah it's you know. a kind
0: of, it's a rejection of the sort of structures that prevent those people from doing what they feel is necessary to get the job done he's an
1: incredibly libertarian character isn't he you yeah know, yeah. think about well, it
2: <laughs> do you not think that he does that in this movie is is that I mean, he kind of abandons law enforcement, sees it as failing to do what it's supposed well, to do and takes matters into his own hands? I mean, he sort of... He
1: does reject it, ultimately, but there is something really weird about seeing Frank Castle as an FBI agent. If you Like, if you've ever read a Punisher comic, just the very idea of him being an FBI agent. Um, and it really kind of ties into... I don't know if we want to get into what I would call the elephant in the room yet, but... It's what I talked about, about how the first half of this film is not interested in adapting Punisher comics. It's interested in doing a remake of something else.
2: Yeah, that's, that's
1: interesting. The film
2: that I think you're alluding to, very coincidentally, <laughs> I... Have watched like for the first time in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, because um, it took me until Christmas to catch up on Mad Max Fury Road, so mm. I thought I would go back and actually watch the the <laughs> watch the uh, original three movies. Yeah. So I mean, you're right. The comparisons in the first half of this movie with Mad Max are inescapable, and in fact, the director says. He says that one shot is a reference to Mad Max. I think it might <laughs> the, be... The bit with the family. One,
1: well, the, the 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 two bodies on the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. completely... Because it's like... It is kind of like they, they sort of went... I mean, there are un, undeniably similarities between The Punisher and Mad Max anyway. And I, I don't think George Miller would ever deny that the original Mad Max is at least partly inspired by The Punisher. It's not like we don't know that George Miller likes his comics, you know. Mm. Um, but it's like for this... They looked at all the bits of the Punisher that were similar to Mad Max and said, we'll keep those. And then they looked at all the bits that were different and they went, let's change them to make them like Mad Max. So they make him a cop when he's never been a cop in any other version. Um, Having his family be run over rather than shot really is just the moment where where it was like, yeah, they are just completely directly. And even the car. Punisher's never driven a car like that. That's Mad Max's car.
2: She's driving along in a, v- a very similar SUV to the one in Mad Max.
1: Yeah, but, no, but 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 his car as well, his his tripped out black car. Oh, his tripped out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pani- yeah is... Punisher drives a van. Yeah, exactly. Because to... the funny thing was, I, I read that, um, I think it was actually Tom Jane who said something along the lines of, you know, we didn't want to do all of that stuff. Um, with microchip and the battle van and all the high-tech stuff because it wasn't really in the spirit of, of, you know, the true kind of core of the Punisher. And it's like...
0: (laughs) Bollocks. That's the stuff I want to (laughs) see.
1: Exactly.
2: (laughs) Okay, so you're going to have to tell me and any other listeners who don't know the Punisher very well. So what is his background and his origin and
1: what defines the Punisher on the page? Well, it doesn't help that there have been different versions
2: but in terms of what this movie does in he is a cop he has a a referenced background in the military he pisses off a guy so this guy murders his entire family and he turns into the punisher because of because of that (laughs) that murder
0: i would say almost none of that in that form is on the page because in in the comics he's a let's say a war veteran like it's not originally originally yeah originally vietnam but i guess current version would probably be the gulf war and he comes home and resumes family life and then his family get gunned down in the crossfire of a gang war between organized criminals and he's the only one left alive so he decides to you know clear out new york with a pair of pistols, basically. There's no personal element to his origin... Mm. as originally told Mm. that at least as far as i can remember
2: and so what drives him more is it is it the murder of the family that pushed him over the edge or is there some ptsd well yeah this is (laughs) this is something
0: (laughs) me and said we're just discussing off mic which is that the current interpretation of the punisher and probably the best version is that you know he was already screwed up when he came back from the war and his family being killed just gave him the excuse he needed to you know act on this rage he's got inside him but that's
1: that that was never really the case until Garth Ennis's.
0: Yeah, that's, that's within the last sort of 10, 15 years that interpretation has arisen
1: yeah. as a result so
0: what, of so comics becoming his, a bit more complex.
2: So what was his deal before that? Was it just family killed?
0: Yeah, before that he was just, his family got killed, so he was, you know, he's Batman but with guns.
2: Okay, so essentially there is, there is one basic and one complex version of what makes The Punisher The Punisher and the movie yeah. chose the basic version.
1: Yeah, but as fair? I say, the, the, but the movie also kind of backed itself into a bit of a corner because, and well, we want to kind of want to treat the film chronologically, but this is jumping to the end. Um, by making it personal, the movie gives us no justification—if if you could even consider it justification in the first place—it gives us no justification for him turning his eye to the entirety of organized crime. Because the whole point is, as, as James says, it, it it it's a Batman kind of thing. It's him wanting to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else. It's like this happened to me as a result of these criminals, so I will destroy all criminals. Yeah,
0: like you can't um, you can't have an arc to the Punisher's origin yeah. because then if he kills the guy who killed his family,
2: yeah, out and the personal. film, I've got to say, I actually I actually bought that in this film. The the facts he he the kind of it was. The scene where he is about to kill himself Mm. at the end after basically getting his revenge and killing everyone who was even slightly related to the death of his family... And then he realises that, no, he doesn't but, want to die and that he's going to go out. And, that, and I'll be honest, it might not be explicit, but that was
1: my reading. It was just, okay. Yeah, no, it is. But, but what makes him realise that? That's the thing. The film actually has an arc and has a perfect ending, which is that he shoots himself. The way that this film is structured and everything that happens in this film, and particularly, and again, we are kind of jumping straight to the end, but I think the way that he finishes things off is so irredeemably unpleasant that I think he's gone over an edge. And the whole point is that, because and particularly because, again, the other thing that the film is doing is kind of an homage to kind of 70s and 80s revenge films. And he's hmm. got his revenge, he's taken his revenge, he has literally nothing else to live for. Mm-hmm. Personally, I really thought the film should have ended with a cut to black as he shoots himself. That's, that would have been, thematically and emotionally and whatever, would have been the ending to this film. But like they realised at the very end, oh crap, no, this is the Punisher from the Marvel comics and we might get a sequel, so we need to have him actually become the Punisher. But nothing else that he does in the rest of the film suggests that he is in any way interested in fighting crime. He's only interested in fighting Howard Saint's. I, I agree with you to an extent that I think that that
2: would have been a fitting ending to this story but I don't think that I, I, I don't feel like the film plucked it out of thin air and in fact I think the only reason that the three neighbours are around for the entire film and particularly Rebecca Romijn is to do that whole kind of, hey maybe there is something else to live for and maybe there is some other purpose and you know it's not it's not fantastically woven through the thing and it's not, it's not particularly interesting in the movie, but I think it's there. I think it's there just about. I don't. I don't I didn't feel like it came out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, I kind of... I think the neighbours are in there for a different reason, which we'll get to when we discuss them more properly, I think. But, yeah.
2: Okay. Um. So we were... You mentioned the kind of the facts that he's a war veteran being part of the more complex and interesting story of the Punisher. So... Interestingly, I mean the the film does reference this that Frank was is a military vet. Um but the film was originally going to open with um and this is according to the director's commentary. It was going to open with a scene um set in Kuwait um with Frank Castle and Jimmy Weeks who we meet briefly at the start of this movie who I believe is a character from the comics. Um, that Frank and Jimmy Weeks are serving together in the military and that story, uh, it kind of establishes Frank as a military vet and also sets up a subplot that was entirely excised from the film um, in which Jimmy Weeks um, would have got back from the war, would have joined the police with Frank but kind of developed a gambling addiction and he was the guy that sold Frank out to Saint. Um, and uh, Frank, his ultimate way of getting back at Jimmy for that is to compel him to commit suicide. So that is a subplot that was entirely <laughs> missing from this movie. Um, uh, w- what would you have thought about that as part of this movie, or you know, maybe if just that opening scene was there, just to just to get that military vet background firmly established.
0: I'm not sure Jimmy Weeks is from the comics to be honest. I've never heard of him and I just had a quick look and I haven't seen no. anything about him. Uh Maybe I think not. to be yeah, to be fair, if if the plot as described had done that, like that would have been very Punisher in that he, you know, he doesn't have any empathy or compassion like if you do wrong you get to die, that's your reward. Like, that would have been a better version. Whether the military stuff would have played better than the sort of FBI agent. You know, I I tend to think if you're doing the simplistic version where he's not a kind of PSD sufferer who's been fucked up by combat, you know, you can get away with changing his origin to being in some other kind of law enforcement. Because, you know, as, as we said, it's the sort of... It's the authoritarian structure that he has to kick against, not the... Not the specific being a war veteran. Hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm fairly sympathetic to that change in the character, to be honest.
2: Yeah. What about I mean, I kind of watched the first scene of this movie as is, and kind of went, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> like uh, because I was aware that Tom Jane was playing the Punisher. Like that was that was my extent of like knowledge going into this film and so there's this drugs deal go- Oh, there's, there's, there's some weapons being bought and the guy out of Ocean's Eleven turns up with this other guy who's going to be a twin and they're doing a deal and then Tom Jane turns up with this kind of like ragged blonde mop top and again <laughs> I know Tom Jane is blonde but I'm pretty sure the Punisher isn't blonde so I'm confused there And then Tom Jane starts doing some weird kind of like South African accent, and then the police turn up. South
1: African? Uh, Isn't he meant
2: to be German? Oh, I've no honestly. At some point, Otto.
0: Yeah, I thought he was South African at at least one point, and then I was like, oh, hang on, No, he's German. So
2: yeah, but maybe that was his cover.
0: He was South African German.
2: (laughs) Excellent. Um, I, I I didn't know whether Frank was a cop. Or whether he was maybe a guy who was a criminal who saw the light and then turned... And so I genuinely didn't know what was going on. And so all those kind of bluffs and double bluffs in the opening sequence fooled me. But also the fact that, I mean, like, Frank Castle did seem directly responsible for all of the deaths that happened in that scene. Because he kept character. Hmm. Like, if he'd have just come out of character and raised his gun at everyone else and gone, yeah, freeze! I'm FBI, motherfuckers! <laughs> uh, like, that would have ended... And But instead, there's this huge shootout, and Howard Saint's son is killed, and some other generic crims are killed, and it's all Frank's fault. And I found it a, just a hugely jarring introduction to the movie, and it took me so long after that to kind of get, like, feel like I had a footing for the movie and something to like hold on to and know what was going on it was it was maybe like five ten minutes later by the time that frank was spending time with his family i was like okay i feel i feel like i'm 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 back with this
0: yeah I, when i was watching it i was thinking like where this film needed to start was he is at a place with his family and they all get killed not some weird undercover operation oh time for your retirement party Where are you heading on holiday? Like I'm going to retire to Britain. Like what? And
2: and the (laughs) cops all over the place. None of the cop stuff plays into any of the plot, other than the fact that I guess maybe Frank has to be a cop to have some responsibility for a death. Without you as an audience member going, yes, he is responsible for that death. Mm. Fuck this guy. We don't like him. He needlessly got that kid killed. I mean, he did. But There's that
0: one scene, isn't there, that's where he sort of has the speech about how the law doesn't get things done. And it's like, well, you seem to think it got things done for the rest of your life. Like, yeah, this one fuck up doesn't change all that. Mm. And it's not, it wasn't like the police weren't really ineffective. Like there was some sort of suggestion was there that, you know, corruption was preventing them from getting Howard St.
2: Yeah, and again, I think that's probably part of that excise subplot that yeah, Jimmy I mean, Jimmy would have sold him out and then that, obviously not investigated. That
0: probably should have been in there to make it clearer why he was, you know, so down on the police as an entity all of a sudden. Hm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of one of the problems with the Punisher as a character and story engine is that he's clearly insane. Hmm. Like, it's very hard to do a version of the Punisher which is believable unless you go for the... He's, you know, PTSD sufferer with severe mental problems.
1: You have to have other characters around him who are basically like, this guy is insane. Like, for the most part, a Punisher story doesn't work if you're on his side and inside his head. They Mm -hmm. tend to work better when he's the force of nature... Messing things up for other people. Yeah, this is this um, is
0: actually why I like his relationship with Daredevil and why I think he'll be good in the TV series. Is that mm. Punisher is like unlawful good, and yeah. Daredevil is lawful good.
1: Well, one of one of my favourite things I've read with the Punisher in is in Ed Brubaker's Daredevil run when daredevil's was in prison. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't the Punisher get himself sent to prison? Yeah. <laughs> so that he can get in there and find out what's going on with Matt yeah. Murder. And, and everyone's terrified because like the punch yeah. is in prison and he's <laughs>
0: they're scared he's there to kill them.
1: Yeah. Even <laughs> though they're great. in prison, it's... yeah,
0: it's really good, yeah.
1: And that dynamic between them is is really well done. Like this is particularly because in Bendis' run they'd had an almighty fight, and then they're kind of on uneasily on the same side in, in the prison storyline. It's it's really good.
0: Yeah, this is something they were talking about on the latest House to Astonish podcast, wasn't it? Where they were saying mm. how like, once you remove the Punisher from the context of the superheroes around him, he kind of inherently loses something, because his role is to be the maniac with guns in a universe of superheroes. And as soon as you strip that context from him, he's just a an interesting dude with guns. Like, like, how is he different to John McClane? Mm. Not, you know, there's nothing there, really.
2: We kind of set this up at the start of the podcast, that we were going to be kind of probably... I mean, because like I said, I found this film... Just highly amusing. Like, just it, it has it has no it has no firm grasp of tone at any point. <laughs> it's just it seems all to, just, over the shop. Just isn't it? wildly just... veer between stuff. And I I get what they were going for, um, which was kind of this dark movie about this dark character, and try and add an edge of humor to it to kind of to kind of balance that a little bit. I don't think it, that works. A because, like I said, I mean, some this is set in Tampa, and it just doesn't look right. And so, the, the some of the gritty scenes don't look gritty enough. And whereas some of the non gritty scenes, or like the idyllic pre Punisher scenes with his family, are just just bordering on
1: ridiculous in oh, how like, idyllic they are. They're t- <laughs> they're TV movie esque. Like the first, pretty much the first hour certainly the first 45 minutes just feels like a bad cheap tv movie and the score doesn't help and like throughout the entire film i think the score is one of the biggest problems and gives it some of the biggest tonal problems and in the first half of the film it's all this kind of cheesy dreamy stuff for for when he's in his kind of happy phase (laughs) but then in the second half of the film because because the opening of the film gives him uh even though it kind of predates the mcu it gives him this what sounds to me like a marvel ish hero theme. And then that hero theme plays when he's going around brutally murdering people in the second <laughs> half of the film. And it's just so ill-judged with the tone of what's actually happening on the screen at that point. It's yeah. just... I've got to say, cause... that
2: that opening... I mean, I was taking notes while watching this movie, and I kind of just want to read a few out to you that I wrote down, like, in, in the sequences kind of where... Tom Jane's Frank Castle. He's quit being a cop. First of all, found it hilarious that that was his last job. This guy in his thirties, <laughs> were a young kid. Yeah, I'm now I'm
1: going to retire because that's what I. That's <laughs> what I can do. In with he, this, he wasn't this retiring though, was he? House. No, he was. He was moving to the London office. I I thought the idea was there was a lot of heat on him because he'd been doing a load of undercover stuff, so he was getting a desk job to keep him out of the firing
2: line. Yeah, but it it was basically, that was his, you know, (laughs) like, just when I thought I was out moment. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so in in that opening sequence, first of all, I was just astounded that Frank Castle, who was about to be the Punisher, (laughs) was wearing a white cotton shirt and frolicking on the beach for his wife Having some sex, having some sexy time in the beach. Then I wrote how distracting I found Tom Jane's hair. This terrible, bad dye job that they did. It was like, oh, just let him be blonde. I don't care whether you're going to get some fanboys going. The Punisher shouldn't be blonde. It it looks dumb. Let him, let him have that. Then when the kid gives him the
1: the skull T-shirt, I was in tears. I, I laughed out loud when he gave, when he, when he opened up the T-shirt. I mean, you knew what it was going to be as soon yeah. as he handed it to him, but it was just... Yeah. How how charming, son. You've given me a skull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Tom Jane reacts to it like, uh, thanks. <laughs>
2: and the director, uh, like on the commentary, he says something like, um, oh, uh, yeah, and we, we realised that one of the things we could bring to this was that... I mean, I read loads of Punisher comics and never once did was it brought up where he got this <laughs> skull from. Like, where he got this t-shirt from. And I was like... Yeah, because nobody cares. Like, he went to the shop and picked the most emo well, yeah, shirt like, he
1: could find. You, you don't need to answer the question, why does the Punisher wear a skull on his chest? Because the answer is, because he's the Punisher. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> Not that his soon-to-be-dead kid gave it to him. But I've
2: got to say, my f- like honestly, the funniest moment for me in this entire film, and it was the moment where I knew I'm going to have a lot of fun with this movie, was when... We kind of see Frank and his wife and they're heading off to this family get together before they move away. And then we cut back to Howard Saint, John Travolta, who I've got to say, (laughs) quite like in this movie. I don't don't care who knows it. I think John Travolta actually plays this just about right. He doesn't overplay it. He doesn't underplay it. And I kind of like the idea that his character in the criminal world is a bit of a chump. Like he yeah. gets he gets beaten up on by other guys,
1: <laughs> I I I
2: think I think Travolta's the MVP in this one. Mm. Well, I also think yeah. Thomas Jane is very good. Like I liked him, um, I, I just didn't I didn't really connect with the character, but I liked him, and he's you know he's he's I, I absolutely just think, freaking jacked as
1: well. So well I, done, I really Thomas think Jane. he's really really bad. Again, in it basically in all of the the pre Punisher stuff. I think he's dreadful. I think, as I say, it reaches a point where it's obvious that what he wanted to do was look badass, wear a black t-shirt and shoot people. Mm. And and gruffly growl out a few lines of dialogue. And when he's doing that, he's great. No question. But it takes him a while to get there.
2: (laughs) Anyway, so back to this hilarious moment. So Howard Sane is basically, he's found out that Frank Castle is the guy that is in his eyes to blame for his son's death and he basically tells his henchman look i want you to kill frank castle uh and his wife um laura herring <laughs> pops in and she's like no um i want you to kill his entire family and they're yeah. like you want his entire family he's sure yeah kill them all and so you like you're like oh she she's badass she like the lady macbeth of this (laughs) this kind of like black widow character on his shoulder and then you cut back to frank castle kind of arriving at this family get-together and you're like holy shit how big is this family (laughs) yeah kill all of his family there's like 200 of them i thought his wife and his kid were gonna die not that like his second cousin three times removed and his nephew's dog walker and their grandma and his auntie and it's just there's so many people i was like i was not ready for this like i was ready for the murder of a it young is. woman and her child. Not all these other little toddlers <laughs> who just get gunned down indiscriminately. It's a bit like, like the
0: start of Home alone, isn't it? Where when, just everyone
2: there. <laughs> when Laura Harring said kill all his family, did she, she know or... <laughs> how many there were?
1: <laughs> I'll tell you what about the thing with thing with um Laura Harring's character is when she's first introduced at the funeral, it's a bit of a um, Janet Van Dyne situation where it's like they're not showing her face yeah, and it's like they're building up to a reveal of oh, like is it going to be some really famous actress playing her or is it that she's going to be a character that we've somehow seen in the first few minutes of the film even though the only person that could be is Frank's wife so <laughs> it obviously can't be her but it's like they build up as if it's a reveal and then it's just yeah. oh it's her from I Mulholland even, Drive I even <laughs>
0: said that to Nikki when when she like uncovers her face and it, you're like uh, uh oh what? Oh, I, is I, that I vaguely recognise her because like... I saw
1: a film that she was in once Yeah, it's, it's bizarre,
0: <laughs> isn't it?
2: <laughs> um, that, is, that is soon after, followed up by my second favourite scene in the movie which is when...
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on Same goes for healthcare That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision,
2: dental and more Learn more at uh1.com plushcare.com slash And John Travolta delivers the news to Laura Herring that Frank Castle and his family have been killed. And she says, quote, I asked you to avenge our son and you did. And then takes her clothes off. <laughs> it's so weird. She just like pulls this off and has this like sexy thong lingerie on underneath. And it's like it's this just weird scene where um, Howard Saint and his wife are gonna have some uh, kinky sex because they love that family murder
0: I mean no wonder John Trevor was confused <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, there's some, there's some weird, there's some weird, weird sexual politics that goes on later in this movie yeah, with yeah. Travolta and Laura Herring. I mean, first of all, Laura Herring is set up as this kind of Black Widow character with, with that, with that, you know, mm. that line, and then you know the fact that she's stripping down to this slinky underwear the next time you see her, and then the next time she shows up in the film. She is like from that point on wearing like sky blue dresses and like just <laughs> and she's just a woman who goes like, to the movies yeah, every just, Thursday <laughs> just like a, just she's just a mum. she's like kind of like a mum who doesn't have many friends and is basically set up there to be and I wondered like were they giving the like instructions to her to set her up as like a you know a more so that Frank wouldn't realize where the power lied in that relationship and kind of you know was surprised when you know maybe he took out frank and it wasn't over or whatever but no she is then she is then just set up to be a, a pawn in frank's game from that point onwards to force howard to kill her and i was really disappointed because i was highly entertained by those two
1: uh those two appearances that she had in the first half hour on the um on the subject of the, the the massacre of the family, the thing that struck me during that scene as well, and it's one of the I think it's one of the biggest reasons as well why this film has a big tonal problem and feels like two films glued together, is in the first half of the film, like you've got this massive sequence where all of these people are being killed and shot. How much blood do you see in that scene? <laughs> uh, well, Pretty much none. It's like the apparently is it, intentional. Well, it's like the film at that point is a PG. And then for the second half of the film, all of a sudden there's all this blood and gore you and swearing that wasn't that. there in the I first mean, half of the film. It's it's such a weird sequence, that sequence at the
2: start. I mean, the film... I mean, you know, talking about tone, you're right. Like, there are certain scenes in this film that feel like they would be PG. And then suddenly there'll be, like... Um, the bit so, where he stabs the guy in the head through the the chin well, is one that's. Just, I mean, I, I was just thinking right about then. just random moments, like in a movie that doesn't really have any need for nudity at any point. There's just one random pair of boobs yeah. that are walking around at yeah. one point. Because where's that? Uh, it's just right. like a, in mon- a strip
0: club or something.
2: Yeah, there's yeah. a montage of like Howard's operation when when um, Frank finds out how the operation works. And so that scene, that scene where the big shootout is happening, I mean, like I said, in one respect, couldn't believe how grisly it was that Mm. we we were focusing on these kind of uh, like old women and little toddlers running around and teenagers. And, you know, we kind of see at one point a goon peer under the house, see a toddler and two adults and then just fires an automated weapon at them. And you're right, it's at the same time uh, there's no blood so it's like we don't mm. want to rub it in and also this is all happening like outside a beach house in the middle of d- yeah. in the middle of the day in florida i mean like it's it none of it feels right it just doesn't it, <laughs> and also is I mean, there
0: the guy from jaws is hanging around yeah.
1: <laughs> yes i'm i'm just looking it up on on um, bbfc and i'm surprised that this film was an 18 in the UK. And mm. it's like, if the whole film was like the second hour, I could understand it. But I'm not even sure there's anything in the second half that would really justify it being an 18. There, I mean, now, there is lots of violence. It's not, it's not the worst, you see. I've seen far worse in 15s. In I mean, terms it's no Daredevil, is it? Well, yeah, actually. <laughs> Netflix Daredevil. I mean, the yeah, the BBFC's thing says contains strong and sadistic violence. But, like, you know, the bit with Dave's piercing, you don't actually see that Mm. you know and so there's there's bits of torture you see see you see a guy stabbed in the
2: neck you see a guy take a machete to the head you see a guy have his face burnt off and then his neck twisted around i mean you see stabbings close up on multiple occasions I mean, it is, but like, it's weird, a- it, but again, I mean, I know what you mean, because at some points in this film, I was watching it and I was going like, like the first two things that the Punisher does as the Punisher is that he pretends to torture someone. And I did I did kind of like the idea of the scene that he was pretending to blowtorch someone's back while yeah. <laughs> putting a lollipop on and blowtorching some meat. <laughs> like, I, I quite like that as a setup for a scene. Again, tonally, doesn't work at all. Um, and then the second thing that you see him do is when he, f- when he f- finally kills some of Frank's goons, it's kind of like set up like a Western kind of like, um, he's, he squares off in the corridor with the, with the, with the two goons and he waits until they draw their guns and then he draws and shoots them and kills them. But I was kind of like, oh, so Frank isn't kind of like indiscriminately killing people. He's actually, you know, if he doesn't have to touch someone he's not doing, and if he, you know, if he's not going to shoot unless he's drawn on first. And then a couple of scenes later, he is, uh, there's a guy in the corridor and he doesn't even wait to talk to him. He just punches him in the face. And then there's another guy who he just straight away sticks a machete through the head of and all of the stuff in the final sequence is just like Frank being sadistic and wanting to kill people in the most horrendous way possible particularly yeah, see, Howard that, and Howard's son
0: that pun, that torture scene in particular I was watching that thinking like comics Frank Castle would not have done this he would have just <laughs> blowtorched the guy
1: yeah <laughs> Like, that, he that might was, have left was him alive. That in the point of the film where it felt like they were completely sanitizing yeah. um, and yeah. sort of.
0: Like they might have left know. him alive. He might have left him alive because he doesn't kill everyone who's useful to him. But generally, if you're a criminal, he doesn't let you off light.
1: And he, and he's very happy to talk like, to people.
0: Again, most of the time, if a criminal sees the Punisher coming, it's it means he's made a mistake. Like his mo is just to shoot you before you even know he's there.
2: I wonder whether maybe this was a film that the studio had like there, there was the direction of, you know, we want you to shoot this film for an eighteen, but also, you know, be aware that we might need you we to cut it cut for it a fifteen, a 15 sh- yeah. so shoot that version as well, <laughs> and and that maybe that you know that led to some of the some of the tonal confusion. I mean, c- talking of that tonal confusion. Jonathan Hensley on the director's commentary kept talking about this being very influenced by Garth Ennis's Punisher, and that there was <laughs> stuff that he was list- lifting out, and that what he really loved about Garth Ennis's Punisher was that it did have this kind of grim, sadistic violence, but it also had moments of humour and levity, and... I don't know. I like it. he. He seemed to talk about like the neighbors as if maybe they were an idea that he'd taken from Garth Ennis. Yeah. And yeah, they are. So all
0: those, all those characters are from Garth Ennis' comics.
2: Yeah, from Garth I, Ennis' first run. Yeah, we should add, but we'll explain that. Later. So I did. <laughs> what I was wondering when I was listening to him say that, I was like, well, if this was the version of the Punisher he was drawing from, because it was the most popular, and that has that stuff in. Does it work on the page because it just doesn't hear? So what has what has gone wrong in the translation? I tell you that that tone can work on the page, but it just it feels like a mess here.
0: I'll tell you what's gone wrong and it's that he's just not as cynical as Garth Ennis. Like, Garth Ennis has this kind of very sort of razor sharp cynicism where there's sort of no light like it's it's not like light and shade is or just varying degrees of shade and what the movie did was kind of create these really goofy versions of that like i think part of the problem is they tried to make it funny like for a start they made it funny an hour in like suddenly you know you get all these comedy cartoon characters turning up Mm. but also Ennis's the na- version. The
2: neighbours don't work at all, do they? Yeah,
0: in Ennis' version, like they're it's funny, but it's also grim. Like, they're not there as comic relief, they're there just to make things weird and unsettling in a completely different way.
2: Mm. I mean it's never really gonna work, is it, when you move into an apartment complex with a failed stand up comedian and two X Men. <laughs> <laughs> No wonder the I mean, tone she, is confused.
0: Like, she's the weirdest thing as well, because in the, in the comics, like, the character is called Joan the Mouse. Like, she's not literally a mouse. Like, the the point is she's a kind of mousy, like, withdrawn, introverted, like, timid, terrified woman who's kind of living in fear and sees the Punisher as someone who might be able to, to help her because he's obviously, you know, a good guy. Whereas in this, she's like a kind of... Sexy, outgoing love interest. Like it's just a bizarre translation of the character on every level.
1: And 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 in the comics, Dave is called Spacker Dave, which I think is an example of Garth Ennis playing with the fact that American audiences wouldn't know what the word Spacker means. Yeah, he is credited as that
2: in the film as well. Is he? Okay. Yeah, he's never, it's never mentioned on screen. But if you, yeah. you know, if you're on IMDb, it is. and and again, the director called him Spacker Dave. Somebody
1: really should have told them that because that's quite offensive. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what um, I thought. It's, well, it's like Americans use the... You, re, you read Brian Michael Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man and the word spaz shows up so often in the early issues. And someone pointed out to Brian Bendis, I think on Tumblr not long ago or on Twitter, that it was quite an offensive word in the UK and he genuinely didn't realise. Mm. They, they don't know in America.
2: Yeah, I, I found those... I found the neighbours... Like I, I, like I said, I kind of thought that that was what they were there to do, was to appeal to the humanity of... The Punisher and kind of give him like I mean it's it's not very well handled and it's pretty much spoken out loud but it's just Rebecca Romaine saying to him you know isn't there, isn't there something else some other reason you might want to live and, and obviously she wants <coughs> that to be her um, and it and it ultimately isn't but um, and, then, and then I guess that's implied that they did get through to him because he leaves them all the money but I mean just every time they turn up on screen I was like oh what what hijinks are they up to this time <laughs> and
1: normally it's just singing just, or m- think, miming singing I suppose because you, you do you need to I suppose to give and particularly in a, in a film and maybe they can get away with it more in the comics but like if you choose to go to the idea of Frank at home then it's like the most depressing thing you can imagine because it is this man who has nothing else in his life Other than going out and killing criminals. And it's like that bit when he's in the apartment and it just shows him eating sardines out of a tin with a knife. (laughs) And it's just like, if you didn't have those three characters, then you would just have to show him eating sardines out of a tin with a knife. And it would just be this bleak, (laughs) depressing existence. But that's sort of. So I think.
0: (laughs) That sort of is the Punisher, though, isn't it? like min- well, it minimalist It, it, it totally Spartan. is the Punisher. It's like... Yeah, Spartan. Like, like, right. I'm just going to eat, spam and shoot people.
1: Well, like the the very, very end of Jason Aaron's Punisher Max, which is sequel to Garnath Ennis' is run, and that's the series in which, again, we'll talk about it later, but it's a series in which it shows Frank Castle actually having aged in real time since the 70s. So by the end of it, you know, he's almost this kind of old man on a crusade. And the series, spoilers, basically ends in his death. And right at the very end, sort of, he's reached this point. Actually, weirdly, in Jason Aaron's run, he's taking on the Kingpin and Elektra and Bullseye because it's not in regular Marvel continuity, so they get brought in as as new villains, essentially. Um, and by the end, he has just been like essentially homeless. And in the last issue, after he's died, it shows where he was living, and it was just this room with a load of kind of rotting takeaway boxes in it <laughs> and it is just, just gen- genuinely as an image it's an incredibly depressing image because you just go well seriously like you know when he comes home at the end of the day after a hard day's killing he has no life whatsoever <laughs> but this film I think needs to give him some kind of a life even if that's just I have weirdo neighbours and they invite me around for dinner you know
0: ah oh, Thanksgiving ah <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's so not the punisher, like he has nothing um, to be thankful for. He's thankful for his latest issue of like guns and ammo
2: so as his as the punisher kind of puts together his plan, i guess there are there are two strands of what's going on in the second half of the film with the the kind of the the punisher himself, and that is kind of this kind of punch counter punch in that he is systematically trying to take down Howard Saint's entire empire and dismantle his family, and Howard Saint is continually sending assassins after the Punisher. Um so I guess if we start off by talking about the the action sequences as they are. And again these have to be quite low level because of the budget of the movie. <laughs> so that so the first one is kind of a car chase that goes about fifty yards. <laughs> um, and the second one is a fight that entirely takes place within that apartment complex um, wh- what did you think of those two because both of them to me again the- these are these like big you know the action set pieces in a Punisher movie and the first one starts off with the assassin turning up and singing him a song which Ugh. I love that bit <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's so I was weird like, it just it
1: doesn't like- fit with anything That was the first point at which, like, up to that point, the film had had... I'd been enjoying watching the film, but everything I'd enjoyed about it and everything everything that had made me laugh felt unintentional. Like, I, I was laughing at it, not with it. And then all of a sudden, this bloke shows up with a guitar and sings a song about how he's going to kill Frank Castle. <laughs> and that guy, by the way, I looked him up. He's not really an actor. Like, he has acted, but he's actually a country singer-songwriter. Yeah, he had, so it's not, <laughs> he had played Johnny uh, Johnny Cash at one point in the past, which perhaps oh, right. might be a surprise. <laughs> um, but I loved that little scene. I was like, well, because you know what you've done is you've you've got this character who you know is uh you know who's a killer who goes around killing people the only really interesting thing you can do in terms of coming up with antagonists for him is to come up with interesting and fun hitmen who've who've got quirks themselves (laughs) um and and that's what they did with that character and i was genuinely disappointed when after all of about 2 minutes of screen yeah. time he gets shot in the neck you, with a knife. You think he's going to stick
2: it. around for the rest of the movie, don't you? And then he yeah. doesn't. And then the same and then Kevin Nash turns up so like and then they have yeah. a really really
1: long fight.
2: <laughs> yeah, so former wrestler and now magic mike star Kevin Nash yeah. who is 6 ft 11 and Actually, visually this really works because you've seen Tom Jane absolutely jacked for all of this movie and then he stands next to Kevin Nash and <laughs> looks like just a, an absolute midget.
1: And, and I'm I'm fairly sure that the guitar guy was created for the film, but this character is a Garth Ennis mm. character. Who comes I mean, back I, a lot. I, I mean, again, I quite, I quite
2: liked the idea of this this big burly assassin going after him. And this could be this really... Gritty fight scene, but Kevin Nash is there with bleached blonde hair <laughs> and a red and white, stripy, skin tight t shirt. Yeah, see, and this it is... just makes the whole thing absurd again.
0: This is a weird thing where they've perfectly replicated the character from the comics, but like but he it, doesn't fit this. the tone, doesn't work <laughs> because he's this sort of absurd Garth Ennis character being dropped into a fairly realist. Universe, like it's just they've.
2: But again, no, you know, I, I wouldn't say followed that the it, wrong that, muse. I wouldn't say that that character couldn't work because I quite enjoyed Kevin Nash. I enjoyed most of the choreography of that fight sequence. Um, I thought it was quite imaginative in the ways that it kept that fight going and then concluded it. But you you, you then, have to have a movie that has stuck to that tone the whole way through, and yeah. isn't going to be a scene later going back to the other side of things, which is Frank planning his vengeance, and all of Frank planning his vengeance is is grim and gritty and dark and unpleasant.
0: Yeah, like that that is Russian you, scene yeah. would have worked in Kickass, but not yes. in this movie.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Even down to the ridiculously over the top image of what he looks like after he's been burned by the oil, which again is along with Thingy getting stabbed in the neck, it's like, oh, all of a sudden we've decided we're going to have these, <laughs> you know, deliberately schlocky, violent deaths. He ends up looking a bit like um, Judge Doom in um, <laughs> Roger Rabbit, like when he's, when he's all melted. Um, but it's just like, oh, so you're now going for over the top with your, with your violence and your imagery when half an hour ago. You know, mm. <laughs> you were you were shying away from it. Yeah.
2: So let's let's again talk about the, the the other side of things, which is the the Howard's the kind of the takedown of Howard Saint. And we haven't talked about John Travolta a lot. I mean, and and I mentioned this earlier. I really quite like him, and I loved the idea that he was a bit of a chump. And <laughs> the moment the Cubans walk in, and you kind of see what level he's actually at um i i thought that was great and i actually really like will Patton as his main henchman as well i mean
1: i I thought he was good actually
2: if i was hiring a main henchman um a i wouldn't give a shit whether he was gay and i wouldn't need to be blackmailed you know i wouldn't think that there was a thing that in 2004 you would blackmail someone (laughs) about but hey ho also punisher don't be a dick. Don't
1: blackmail someone about being. Uh, you're the worst. You're the worst, well, that, Castle. I think it's that that whole plan. I mean, I know you know what he's doing is he's trying. You know, he's being a bit sadistic about the idea. of He wants to ruin him, and he wants him to. He wants him to have murdered his friend and his wife before he then tells him that it was for no reason. But it's a bit of a. It's a very melodramatic way of going about things and it's not mm. a very frank castle way of going it's
2: about also things. Like, not as clever as the movie wants you to think it is
1: yeah exactly because I mean, yeah. it's like he doesn't do that much to make oh, him God, think when... it, if it was all elaborate and and well orchestrated i don't even get what the hydrant is all about why does he keep getting so, out a fire hydrant so no one else
2: will park there while the car is missing oh uh, okay i didn't really understand that <laughs> was like, uh, that, that took the director's <laughs> commentary but I mean, yeah. there's the scene where the guy from Ocean's Eleven is it Mickey? Um, yeah, he goes up oh to Howard God. and he's like, "So, <laughs> so uh, wasn't he at the hotel as well? Oh, That's a bit strange, yeah. isn't it, boss? Oh, I don't know what a... What do you What do you think about? Could you Could you possibly making a connection in your head? Right, I was like, how. <laughs> Is the film supposed to be making us deliberately think that he's making an absolute hash of this and Howard's going to work it out and go, oh, I've been played. I really need to take out Frank Castle right now. Nope, nope. Um, Howard buys it entirely.
1: And he buys it based on so little <laughs> as well. Like, so little.
2: Yeah, to go back to Quentin Will Patton's character, like I said, the second reason I would not hire him as my main henchman, despite thinking he's really great, is, you know, if you can't kill a guy who's already been shot in the chest and is laying prone on a floor... <laughs> Why he was... don't they shoot him through the head? <laughs> well, the,
1: the kid shoots <laughs> the him
2: in the chest. Film
1: falls down. Yeah, it falls down on the fact that he shoots him in a place where it's entirely possible for him to survive. It's like, you've reached this point. This guy is responsible for the death of your twin brother and you're on this mission of vengeance. You are standing over him, pointing a gun at him, <laughs> and you basically... I'm not even sure it's the chest. He kind of basically just shoots him in the shoulder. To, well, to be it's fair, the, it's the, like,
0: they do blow him
1: up as well. <laughs> well, 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 no, but why don't, why don't they shoot him in the head and then... Well, well, so this is
2: the difficulty of doing that whole Mad Max stuff earlier, yeah. is that Frank has to be there and he has to be... He has to find the bodies of his wife and child... ...while the bad guys are still around. So to do that... ...you have to get the audience to simultaneously believe... ...that the henchmen have done... ...a believable enough job at trying to kill him... ...and it's also believable enough... ...that despite all his injuries Frank survives. And I ended up watching this and going oh my god, it's completely ridiculous that they didn't kill him there. And also, I kind of think he would have died from those injuries. Like, it seems so improbable that he got out of that situation (laughs) that I think you just kind of mess things up from both angles. Again, hilarious. When he flies in the air off of the dock as it explodes, I was in just tears. I I was having such a great time with this movie. (laughs) like um what i frequently listen to um a podcast called how did this get made where they remove where kind of they kind of talk about bad movies and at the end say but is this bad that you would recommend someone to watch or bad that you would say look avoid this never watch it oh god everyone needs to see this film it's so much fun the Punisher is a legitimately fun movie and you know you're not going to regret spending your 2 hours watching this. I I I
1: I mean I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like Howard territory. No. Um, but Howard but has were, a half hour were, that's unwatchable. Well, yeah, actually, actually <laughs> Howard does have points where it's it's too difficult to watch <laughs> almost. Um but this despite being a pretty badly made film on a lot of levels i i got enjoyment out of watching this probably more enjoyment than amazing spider-man two weeks ago um and i would re-watch this and i i didn't think i'd say that before seeing it but i would sit and re-watch See, this film if i was in the right mood i, I would rewatch. watch the weird
0: this. thing is this is the second time i've seen the film and i remembered nothing about it like <laughs> just nothing i must have seen it in sort of 2005 2006 the only thing I was talking to Nicky saying, we've definitely seen this film, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. All I remembered was that there's a bit where a lot of cars explode. And if that's in this film, we've <laughs> seen this film.
1: But no, it's I, I think the thing is, I, I went into this film expecting it to be, I I went in expecting it to be not dissimilar to Blade in that I expected it to be this quite dark and edgy Film in an edgy, in a sort of trying to appeal to teenagers kind of way, and I expected it to be boring. And it's not boring. I can't. I can't say I was bored. I mean, I say there were, there were bits of this film where I was outright laughing at it. <laughs> just you know, this is hopeless. <laughs> but I was never bored. I, I never felt that watching this film was a slog at all. Because yeah. and whether it's just that there's just enough awareness from people like John Travolta in it, mm. or whether it's just that. What they're doing for a lot of it, which is this kind of nineteen eighties revenge madman with a gun mission thing, it's such a basic, yeah, simple thing. <laughs> yeah, that that's... it's it's hard to get too wrong. I think well, so all the I stuff that it does get wrong,
2: that that basic skeleton of the film is there. You you have something to cling on to in that I know where this is going. Exactly. I know yeah. that he is going to get his revenge. I expect it's going to be grim and bloody. And it doesn't matter how many missteps you take along
1: the way. I'm still kind of on board because I've been on this train before. Well, well you said last week, uh, well not you know, two weeks ago, um, one of the biggest problems you had with Amazing Spider-Man is if you actually sit down, what is the plot of Amazing Spider-Man? Mm. This you know expensive, elaborate film that's had so much put into it. What's it actually about? You don't have that problem with this film. You can describe the plot of this film and you can tell someone exactly what it's about. And whether you think the plot's a bit stupid in places, you can still tell people what the plot of this film is. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of has a point. And Jonathan Hensley <laughs> knows the story he's
2: telling. He often tells it incomprehensibly, but he knows the story <laughs> he's telling and it's always there. I mean, I've got to say, I don't want to beat up on this guy. He's. he. I mean, he wrote Jumanji after all. Um, But, um, I mean, I think that obviously the budget, this tiny budget contributed, but I think his direction at times is just flat out incompetent. I mean, he continuously talks on the director's commentary about the people who were put in danger during the stunts. Like, oh, and someone was nearly decapitated here, and Tom Jane actually threw himself through that wall. We thought he'd broken his neck. And you're like... (laughs) You're like, wow, this sounds like the most unsafe movie set of all time. But it it just it seems to be constantly, like, fumbling, big, iconic shots. It's a shot where Tom Jane is looking down a gun barrel after he's just kind of dismantled his gun. And it's supposed to be this Frank Castle has arrived in New York? No, Tampa. Um, <laughs> Frank Castle has arrived back in Tampa, and he's ready to get his revenge. And he looks down the gun barrel... And Tom Jane's not holding it quite straight, so his eye is not always in the gun barrel. And, you know, a, probably a better director or someone with a bigger budget would have been able to get that shot. Amateurs I mean,
0: do two-takes you. Yeah,
2: yeah, just... just. I mean, that feels he like an important it. shot to get right, and it looks terrible because Tom Jane's hand is shaking.
0: I tell you, the, the thing that... I, sticks out whenever I think of this movie is the bit where he's up in the rafters, maybe somewhere, and he's got a bow and arrow, and he sort of jumps out and pulls back the bow, and it looks really cheap and ridiculous. And you're going, "Why is the Punisher using a bow and arrow?"
2: Yeah. So, I, um, yeah, like I said, I don't want to beat up on him too much, but I think um this is this is a movie that is that is badly, badly fumbled. From just you know someone not being not being good enough at their job, uh, and and I think he I think he wrote and directed this, um, so that that would be so in a where, way he's
0: like Woody Allen.
2: <laughs> I mean that would be where I lay most of the blame because, like I, I mean I know you said said that you thought Tom Jane was terrible in the first half. I mean I like Tom Jane generally he's kind of one of those faces that i'm always happy to see pop up in yeah, something I'll, i would agree with and that, yeah. i just think the material is so bad in the first half that they've got this guy who is going to have to within 20 minutes turn into the punisher frolicking on a beach in a white cotton shirt like i just don't know what i don't know what yeah, there's nothing the to are supposed to do too, there really. but yeah i mean and i, I like i said I, I kind of liked everyone else i thought that the characters were terrible, but I thought Ben Foster did as good as a job as he could, and Rebecca Remain again. The character made no sense, but I thought she was. I mean, it's the best I've seen Rebecca Remain be in anything that comes to yeah, mind. I think so actually, yeah. Um, and so like, I, I liked uh, the Ocean's Eleven guy as Eddie Jemison as Mickey. I liked him as me. Mi- I, I kind of thought that everyone on screen kind of was doing a good enough job. It was just kind of they were doing a good job in a TV movie because this had the, you know, this had the budget of a TV movie. I mean, I felt mm-hmm. terrible for Samantha Mathis in that in those opening sequences as well, trying to play Maria. <laughs> and I, honestly, the poor, you know, when she must have seen her costume for the day that she was going to be killed <laughs> on set and she's like, so wait, I'm wearing a bikini top, a kind of semi-open shirt so you can see the goods. And bright pink pants. Well, of course they're going to find me and kill me if I'm wearing the bright pink, bright pink pants. They're always going to find me. I'm, I'm dead already.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I ended up feeling so sorry for like people in this film. Again, like Will Patton, who I thought was delivering a pretty good performance and yet was having to be... The focus of his subplot was you're being blackmailed for being gay and being... I mean, kind of, that shouldn't really have anything to do with that character. Like, his sexuality isn't a thing, except something
1: that Frank Castle can use to to twist his arm. To be fair, I mean, not to be fair, but sort of, he's not actually blackmailing him for being gay. He is pretending to blackmail him over that in order to get a reason to give him circumstantial evidence to assume that he's having an affair. But it is kind of almost like they only made him gay in order that he definitely couldn't be having an affair with the wife so that Frank's plan is definitely... I mean, it's such a terrible terrible plan. Like,
2: Frank finds out that this guy is gay and goes, I know, I'm going to make his boss think that he's having an affair with his wife. What if Howard (laughs) had known that Quentin was gay? Like, (laughs) he didn't consider that, did he? I can't
0: believe there was someone in this film hiding their sexuality.
2: (laughs) Oh, James.
0: (laughs) Do you want the lawyers to listen back to this one?
2: (laughs) <laughs> um Travolta's great Travolta's really good i yeah i i think would you agree that he's the film's m v p
0: oh definitely like the thing is, like, i don't even like John Travolta that much, but in this film he's kind of he's playing the role he was born to play which is a kind of <laughs> sort of shitty mobster
2: well i i mean it, when you look at john Travolta's career he kind of like oscillates you can you can find really interesting films and strong performances here and there but you also find just some horrendous horrendous stuff and knowing that this was early 2000s and my only knowledge of Travolta from the early 2000s was kind of Battlefield Earth and Swordfish (laughs) I was thinking oh god this I mean I mean in a few years after this he was doing stuff like Wild Hogs um (laughs) and Old Dogs um I just on oh, from Paris with love God that's a that's Travolta in kind of weird anti-hero villain mode um I just thought that he was gonna be a real real problem with this movie I didn't know Travolta was the villain until the DVD turned up and I was like oh that's gonna be that's gonna be a thing <laughs> and no he's Like, yeah, he doesn't doesn't ever play it. He just completely down the line. I think it's
0: specifically the fact that he's like a a kind of B-list mobster that makes it work. Like, the fact that he's he's, not very good.
1: He's just a bit crap, and it's like kind of, obviously, you know, his response, although it's not even his response, it's his wife's response to the death of their son, is disproportionate. But then Frank's response to that is even more disproportionate. (laughs) And, like, I genuinely feel a bit sorry for howard at the end and it's obviously yeah. not even so much for what frank's done to kind of destroy his life and stuff yeah i i um, i felt a little pang of that like it's the way that he ties into the car and stuff is just like that's just cruel well it, he's point. just done yeah, the same of, thing with really the sun
2: he's put the he's put the landmine in the sun's hand and said hold this up knowing that he's got like a minute or two So, he also gets to deliver the quip to Howard that's just like, oh, your other son's dead now. And then, yeah, the fact that he ties him up behind the car, drags him along the ground, and, like, Howard's, like, screaming and 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 crying out in pain. And, you know, he's just, he just, he realizes that he's been, like, manipulated into killing his best friend and his wife, that both his sons are dead, that his criminal empire is done. And you're like, this is the point in another superhero movie where the, where the, hero goes You've lost everything. So let, let let that be a lesson to you. See you later. <laughs> and the Punisher burns him to smithereens and does he eventually go under the car? Oh no, it's that he's it's that he kind of sets up the explosion to go off. And so yeah, as he's yeah. being dragged through the car, he then gets dragged through the petrolly flames and is Yeah, he's kind of gone. Yeah, I mean it- Oh. again
0: it's like you say the problem is that frank kind of is responsible for his son's death yeah like in the first place like this is frank like frank poked the hornet's nest and was upset he got stung and now he decided to eradicate all the hornets
2: i mean don't get me wrong like you do, like he's a bad I would guy say it's but, still a very bad guy yeah he's a bad guy but it's
0: again it's I hard wonder... not to
2: sympathize with him because it's uh, none of it is his fault I wonder if this film had been completely down the line, just like grim and violent that, or even if the violence had just been like, from what I've heard that Punisher Warzone is just like balls to the wall, cartoonish violence that this ending would have felt fitting for Howard Saint, but it, it, yeah, it did. It felt a little bit too much.
0: <laughs> yeah. I kind of, again, I'm sort of reminded of Kickass in a way in that, when the guy in Kick-Ass dies, you don't really feel sorry for him because he's been such a douchebag for the whole movie. Hmm. And, like, it's been so cartoonish that his death feels, like, in keeping with what he's done to everyone else, whereas in The Punisher it's, like, really excessive and unpleasant.
2: So, guys, um, right, so I was... I don't know whether I'm going to be completely right or completely wrong here, but when I was watching this film and listening to the commentary, I thought... I bet Seven James between them are going to recommend me two comics. One is probably going to be either Garth Ennis or from the Punisher Max series of Punisher because that sounds like it's what all the popular Punisher stuff is. And then the other guy is going to say, well, there's not actually that many good Punisher comics outside of that run, so here is a comic that Punisher turns up in but isn't the main character. How did I do?
0: You're half
2: right. Oh, okay. Which half am I right about?
0: Uh, shall, I, shall I do my recommendation first?
2: Let's do yeah. it.
0: Yeah. My recommendation is the film that this rips a lot of its characters from, uh, though not necessarily a lot of the plot, actually. I think if they'd used the villain from the comic, it would have been a lot better. Uh, but the comic is called Welcome Back, Frank. Uh, it's by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon.
2: Okay, so this um, is the half that I'm right about.
0: Yeah, it's not actually the Max version because that's the adult imprint. This is the PG-rated cartoonish Punisher. Mm. Uh, It's, like I say, it's got that kind of cynical Garth Ennis humour. So, you know the Daredevil thing you read, which was Marvel Knights Daredevil? Yes. Guardian Devil. That was a reboot of Daredevil or like a sort of restart of Daredevil series Mm -hmm. under new creators. Uh, When... Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti, who, like, ran the imprint at Marvel, launched it. One of the things they did was bring back the Punisher from sort of comics limbo. Uh, But they did a new twist on the character where he had killed himself and gone to heaven and been charged with returning to Earth as a kind of angelic uh, deliverer of vengeance And so he had
2: these... He's Ben Affleck in Dogma.
0: Yeah, he had these ectoplasmic rifles that he used to shoot demons. And they did did two four-issue series of that before going, actually, this is, like, stupid.
2: Why haven't you recommended me that? It sounds amazing.
0: I I promise you, you can read that uh, when we do Punisher Warzone. (laughs) But, yeah, they did two series of the Punisher in that version and then went, okay, this doesn't work. And then this Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon one was them taking the Punisher back to basics. So in that sense, it's really accessible. There's maybe one line which references, like, oh, some weird stuff happened and it didn't take... Uh, But, you know, this was their attempt to relaunch the Punisher as a going concern, and it's fair to say it worked because there were sort of maybe 10, 15 years of really good Punisher comics that followed.
2: And do they explain away the
0: Angel... there is one caption i think where they reference the fact that some angel stuff happened but they don't go any further than that which is for the best to be honest
2: seb so you're not recommending me a comic that dead that that punisher is a supporting character in so is it an actual (laughs) punisher comic or are we moving away we're not we're sticking with punisher
1: I, I did nearly recommend you something in which the Punisher was pretty much only a supporting character but it would still have been an arc from his own title but I've, I'm picking a different arc, I'll, I'll give you one where he is actually pretty central. It's also a Garth Ennis Punisher comic right? right? Um, so as James explained, um, the, the Marvel Knights series that Garth Ennis did well, actually, Welcome Back Frank was actually a 12 issue mini-series, and then that led into an ongoing series um, that basically followed on directly from it and ran for about 30 odd issues between 2001 and 2004. So pretty much lining up with when this movie came out, when that ended. So, so even though it was Marvel nights, so it was, you know, still sort of tonally a bit darker than regular Marvel stuff. Um, it did exist in the Marvel universe. I don't know. I haven't read much of it or at all of it. So I don't know how much it really takes place with other Marvel characters, but it's in the Marvel universe. Um, They then let Garth Ennis launch a new Punisher series in 2004 as part of the Max imprint, the same imprint that Alias was part Mm. of. Basically removing any restriction on language and violence and content. And because it's Garth Ennis, um, he revels in having lost those restrictions. But the other thing is they completely remove him from Marvel continuity... It is still sort of set in a version of the Marvel Universe because Nick Fury is around and S.H.I.E.L.D. are mentioned. Um, But it's that they allowed him to basically age in real time. So he had been a veteran of the Vietnam War. So by the time of these stories, um, he's probably kind of maybe about in his 50s. Mm. Um, And it's just basically about him on his grim mission to destroy organised crime. Um, And it ran for... I think Ennis did about 60-odd issues and then it ran for about another 10 or 15 with other writers, but they're not very good. And I think, even more so than the Marvel Knights stuff, this is kind of the definitive modern Punisher run. Um, and the arc I'm going to recommend... I <laughs> I kind of wanted to recommend the second arc, which is called Kitchen Irish, um, because it's Garth Ennis doing a story about Irish gangsters in New York and Garth Ennis is very heavily into ideas of Irish identity and New York. It's a pretty recurring theme in his work as you'll discover when we gradually recommend more things by it um, the problem with that story is it's a Garth Ennis gangster story in which the Punisher only happens to wander in and out so I didn't really feel it was representative of a Punisher story so instead I'm going to recommend you the third arc which is issues 13 through 18 of this series and it's called Mother Russia and it involves Frank Castle being sent on a mission he gets basically Nick Fury persuades him to do a mission for them um, in Russia, at, a, at a, an old mili- at an old nuclear base, and it's very much about Frank being a soldier and the sort of extremes to which he'll go, but also a certain quite strong moral core that he has.
2: Well, I will track that down. Um, that sounds great, so lots of lots of puns coming in the next week for me. <laughs> um, and we move now on to our final section, which is the pitch. And, guys, given that Punisher is going to be introduced in Daredevil Season 2, before now we think spinning off into his own show, I'd like to know who you would, if you were at Netflix, who you would introduce in the Punisher series that you would then spin off into their own show. You know, infinite spin-offs. And, Seb, I'll come to you first. Who would you spin off from the Punisher show?
1: Well, I was trying to think who you could put in a Punisher show that would be a sort of a worthy, um, if not a foe, then certainly, you know, um, someone to spark off. And I think, I think it's fair to describe the Punisher as um, uh, an unstoppable force. And so, really, what you want is an immovable object. You need to put the Punisher up against somebody who you could maybe describe as um, unbeatable. And I think as well, you know, the Punisher's going to be at risk of being a bit dark and grim and gritty, so I think we need to introduce a bit of lightness in there. So I think you should introduce um, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, as played by Mae Whitman. <laughs> I mean, I'm confused.
2: I'm very confused. I kind of I have, kind of have think... the Punisher fight Squirrel Girl oh. and then give Squirrel Girl a TV series. I kind, of think it, I kind of think it would be wonderful to imagine I'd actually have them teaming up like, Squirrel Girl seems to have this great way in the comics of just speaking to people and going, hey, but wouldn't it be good if you did this instead? And they go, yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so she'd she be like, hey, Frank, why... Don't stop killing these people. I'll sort them out with with my squirrels. You go off and do your own thing. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I, I mean, I like that. Terrible idea, Seb, but I like it. I can't <laughs>
0: and... believe I've got the serious idea for this one. Jesus.
2: <laughs> Who are you? Who are you introducing in a Punisher show, James? Uh,
0: I was going to say Cloak and Dagger.
2: Ooh, who are who are st- some of the characters that Marvel own but uh, haven't got to so yet? I yeah, don't know who cause... Cloak and Dagger are. So who, are they are they X Men? Are they mutants? Oh, no,
0: for a bit they were mutants. It's a bit complicated, to be honest. They're not
2: anymore. No, because like, well, Marvel owns the rights, so they're not.
0: Yeah, their their origin story is that. They were being there were some runaway teen, homeless teens who were experimented on by a drugs company and they got superpowers. So my thinking is you introduce them in a Punisher episode where he's taking on some kind of corrupt uh, pharmaceutical company. You know, he shoots some executives. They team up with him to escape. And then, you know, he, he lets them go off and do their own thing. And then they... Set up in an abandoned church and become Cloak and Dagger. With the uh, power of throwing daggers of light that make people feel guilty and teleporting in the Dark Force dimension or something.
2: Wow, is that, is that what they do?
0: That's roughly what their powers are. No, I'm not I'm not entirely clear, to be honest. And They're, are Cloak
2: and Dagger just their names? Or are they like Jimmy Cloak and Johnny Dagger?
0: They are... I can only remember Tandy Bowen now. Tyrone Johnson and Tandy Bowen. Yeah.
2: Okay. Oh, so, so is, I mean, it, is it one male and one female?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a black male and a white female.
2: Oh. I, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the Marvel has to find some way. Well, I guess they don't have to because they keep picking up characters every year at the moment. But like you you would think that given they're on their roster, they are characters that are free to use at some point. I can't yeah. imagine they're planning a cloak and dagger movie um so (laughs) so yeah maybe maybe netflix is the place for them
0: you know i can sort of imagine them you know they're teen heroes as well so i can sort of imagine a kind of buffy style spin-off where they investigate sort of weird happenings
1: yeah yeah
0: Yeah, and they've got this kind of good relationship as well where because cloak is tied into the dark force he he basically needs dagger's powers to sustain him because he needs to consume light to live um And so you get this kind of situation where they're they're kind of codependent, but also not necessarily thrilled about that all the time. You know, you know, there are things you can do with them that would be perfect for TV.
2: Okay, that's interesting. I mean, my idea would be to have the Punisher face off against Kingpin and then give Kingpin his own show finally. (laughs) Um, But that's just me. Um, Is that a Kingpin
0: uh, show where he's been kneecapped, presumably?
2: What after after fighting the Punisher? Yeah. Yeah, he's, well he's yeah, he's again he's working his way back up from the bottom. <laughs> um On his fingertips. <laughs> I would I would back that man to do anything. <laughs> and he'd have mine vote. <laughs> um yeah, so, okay, um, obviously there's probably only one of those uh, answers I can legit- legitimately give the win to, although I did enjoy them both. Um, so, James, you win this week for yes. your cloak and dagger pitch. I'm pre- pulling it I thought, back. I thought mine was going to be the only one you could legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like it, it, it in some the, alternate universe. The long,
0: The long drought is over.
1: I don't don't like how just because James says that it's the non-serious answer you you take it as the non-serious it was entirely serious Um, I didn't have to wait until James said that
2: Uh, (laughs) okay um, so that would bring us to the end of the show but if you were listening last week and if you follow us on any social media channels you will know that in the past couple of weeks we launched a Patreon account uh, which is a way that you can basically financially back us to carry on uh creating the podcast and various ancillary things around that as we reach various goals on Patreon we are going to be doing new things and adding new ventures to the podcast um we reached our first goal in the first week um so we will be launching a cinematic universe website within the coming month um so we'll let you know when that is up and running um it's taking shape at the moment looks very exciting seb is uh Putting all his online design expertise to great use currently, um, and uh, and yeah, we're we're hopefully closing in on our second goal. So if you haven't backed us yet and you would like to, then do because uh, we'll 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 have more things that we can we can bring you um, as a result of that.
0: You should point um, out though, if you do back us, you get kind of rewards and behind the scenes uh, exclusives and little snippets that we didn't think were good enough for the actual podcast.
2: <laughs> extra audio stuff like that and um and <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it, right. but... <laughs> sell it sell it yeah there are different <laughs> rewards at different levels for instance one of the rewards that every single backer at every single level gets is a thank you on the podcast and because we've had 20 backers so far we have 20 people we'd like to thank um and so what i was thinking guys is you know maybe we could we could each thanks some of them, you know. I'll pick the ones with the easiest names to pronounce. <laughs> um, maybe some, you know, people that I know in real life um, or that I, you know, regularly interact with on Twitter. So I feel like I'm not going to mess it up. Although actually, <laughs> looking looking at this list of names, it's probably that we're, I think we're going to be okay. I think I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you wanna? Do, do you wanna? Who who wants to start us off?
0: I'll start, shall I? Okay. Nick Bryan.
1: Peter Smith. Uh, Abigail. Paul Jeffs. Matthew Plews.
2: Sandy. I'm getting all the one-namers. <laughs> Thomas Selby. John Church. Ian Hepburn. Ethan Barr. Ben Mower, John Fitzsimons. Matt Looker.
1: Adam Bruton.
2: Louis Strong.
0: Kirsty Skinner.
1: Andy Mullen. John Uphill. Anna Shearer. Is it not Shay?
2: Anna Shay? Uh, Shay? Shay? Shay. And John Hall. Yeah, we still managed to mess them up. But you, <laughs> you guys, you 20 people are all superheroes in our eyes uh, because you've the podcast so far. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a huge help. And like you say, it's already enabled us to kind of pay for hosting and designing and launching a website. Um, And helps us cover some of the costs that we incur, kind of on a weekly basis, with this podcast. Um, So we're not actively losing money making the podcast anymore, which is delightful. Um, But Um, we are. Just in case anyone was worried, we're not going to read out twenty names every week, unless we get twenty backers every week. In which case, we absolutely will, and that would be ideal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one final note should also be: um, we're not really at present drawing any money out of the podcast it's all being invested in the stuff we're doing so I don't feel like we're rinsing you or anything like that <laughs> probably I am I am looking
0: probably. forward to doing some rinsing
2: yeah that would be great let's 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 hopefully get to that point
1: where we become rich <laughs> beyond our, where we become Rachel and Miles I've got I've got three. <laughs> I've got three weird neighbours who I need to go and leave some cash in the cupboard of, so it would be helpful. (laughs) Call back. I enjoyed
2: it. Okay, well, that is the end of this week's show. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. Um, And if you are already subscribed, leave us a rating or review, or head over to Patreon and back us, and we'll give you that thank you on a future show. You can find fo- Patreon.com slash Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. Uh, you can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsin.com or through a Film Divider podcast at Film and obviously at a new um, internet URL address very soon. Um, I mean, you can find Internet
0: us- URL. <laughs> very modern.
2: <laughs> Hashtag URL. You can get in <laughs> touch via Facebook on Twitter at cu underscore podcast. Or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. there. I bet you're wondering, why the red suit? Well, that's so bad guys can't see me bleed. Let's hope these guys are wearing their brown pants. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks time, with Deadpool.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands.